Welcome to the Sum of It All Take Two podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague, Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're revisiting an entire past season in each episode, sharing what we think now, along with new resources, connections, and opportunities. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. Today, we're revisiting season five, Curious Schools. When we first read the book, Building a Curious School, Restore the Joy that Brought You to School by Brian Goodwin. And we've been thinking a lot about curiosity, both from the article in season four and in this book from season five. So Mark, I'm super curious. What's something that's still <laughs> resonating with you? <laughs> well, you know, as I was reviewing season five, Audrey, uh, I was reminded how I talked about this wondering. And the wondering is, are schools factories of compliance or laboratories of learning. And the reason that I'm circling back to that is I'm, I'm thinking also about this push for compliance and how does that impact curiosity? Um, and I think the reason that I'm thinking of this more in this moment is I'm thinking more and more about how students have been robbed of the opportunity to be curious with the justification of them needing to be compliant. Mm. Um, you know, pay attention. Uh, and this idea, of course, that's that's really something that on everybody's mind, this idea of catching up and what does that mean? Um, so I kind of wonder, like, what does it take to break this cycle, Audrey? Because it seems like the, the tighter that things are wound around compliance, it seems like the less space there is for curiosity, which I, in, in a, I think just a really sad way, it's actually taking us the opposite direction. The more we wind things tight and say we need to catch students up and we really um, make things very, very uh, tight and not have room for curiosity, I, I think we're going the opposite direction in terms of students gaining a deeper understanding of math concepts. Oh, that's a great point, Mark. I can see that. I can feel that with my own children. I. I, I don't think it's probably a binary choice. Like I don't think it's either curiosity or catch kids up. And I think we're pretending it is. And, mm, mm. and so maybe what you're really pushing us to think about is, is where's the loose tight of that? You know, I know a lot of leaders talk about that in leadership studies around, like, it's not about all the way over on one end um, saying just like, let's go a hundred percent for curiosity or on the other side going like a hundred percent, it's about catching up and drill, 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 drill. But like, it's, it's about like finding the sweet spot between those two. And that's an, that's an ongoing space for us to grapple with, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that out. Um, it's, it's definitely us finding that sweet spot. And perhaps as we go through this episode, that, that will help us consider that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, recently, Audrey, we had the great privilege of attending uh, the California Mathematics Council's South Conference. Um, and by the way, if you haven't attended that conference before, uh, and you're a listener and you you can get over this way in California in November, we we really high, highly recommend it. And um, in that conference, Audrey, you and I were sitting in a session where this idea of struggle uh, was, was uh, mentioned. And I'm really thinking about how curiosity drives that idea of struggle and how if I'm curious about something, and if I'm a student in a math classroom, that curiosity might allow me to sustain that curiosity. Um, and, and 
or that, that being curious will, will allow me to work through struggle, excuse me. And so, but we've had, you know, we've had lots of names uh, for this idea of struggle, right, Audrey? I mean, we have this productive struggle and unproductive struggle. And I really, after the conference, went away thinking about, like, are we even calling it the right thing? And what do we mean by that? Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I do. Of all the things that are sticking with me from the conference, Edmund Harris had a keynote that he um, did on the first day. Um, fascinating, brilliant scholar. Um, I got to give like a tangent real fast. He created the curvahedra, oh, which yes. are one of the play things that we take to our play math events. And if you mm -hmm. haven't seen those yet, you need to Google curvahedra. Um, because if you talk about curiosity builders, you can use them to build all kinds of things in geometry. And if my secondary folks out there are saying like, oh, there's not enough stuff that just like sparks wonder and joy and secondary mathematics. Like this is one of those things I like literally adults start playing with them. Um, secondary math teachers and they're like, it's not building what I thought it was going to build. Or I, <laughs> you know, like super interesting stuff. So right. that's my tangent. Um, but in his keynote, he said something around, around challenging the idea of like this phrase of productive struggle, which you and I mm -hmm. have used and talked yes. lots and lots about. Right. Yeah. And so I always think when someone puts something back in your face, that's like, wait, what, what was I doing wrong? I'd like, that's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, it causes you to really rethink things. So I appreciate him doing that for, for me. And it sounds like for you as well. Right. Um, but he was talking about the fact that what I took away from it was that when we say, that what we want is productive struggle and we applaud the productive struggle, we're missing out on applauding just the struggle that mathematicians sometimes just struggle. And sometimes they think it's going to be productive struggle. And then they realize it's not productive struggle. And if we say like, it's only valuable if it, if it's productive, like we've missed out on the point, like doing something or learning something or figuring something out already has a reward in and of itself. And so what we need to rethink is how we are rewarding the part that comes before that, the struggle where you don't realize it might be productive or it might be unproductive. And so he even, um, in talking with him, he says, that's really when he sits and validates his students as mathematicians is when they are just struggling when they're, when they're in, I, you know, and Peter Liljedal talks about flow, like they're in that space of like mm -hmm. grappling and they're not right. sure if they're making any progress on it. And so he's much more eloquent about this than I am. And you probably listeners can probably tell, like, I am still grappling with it myself um, and thinking about how to communicate about it, but it's stuck with me and thinking about, um, about like curiosity might just exist in that struggle space. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be towards something that has an end. So I'm still grappling with that, thinking about that um, and how we might rethink how we communicate that the struggle is a space of a wonder. It's a wonderful space for our students to exist in. Yeah, great points, Audrey. And you know what you're making me think about is sort of the teacher role in all this, because we're really wanting that struggle to uh, be self-generated by the student as they continue their, their walk and their curiosity. And so I, this is really pushing me too, and really making me think about um, you know, what is my role as a teacher in a lesson and how do I ensure an environment so students will just continue that struggle in the spirit of their curiosity? Yeah, well, that's, well, that's a great space for us to go to next, maybe like, what, since the season aired, what are you thinking more about in regards to how we foster that curiosity with our students? What's standing out to you? 
Yeah, I, I, I'm just really reflecting on like, you know, what things in math class encourage curiosity and which things discourage curiosity. I, I think we really have to be honest about that and, and, and sort of name those things. Um, so a couple of things as I'm thinking about this, Audrey, uh, in terms of encouraging curiosity, it seems like, again, back to what I was just talking about, the teacher role, it seems like having materials, and, and certainly as we've done a lot of work in this play math space, having materials without explicit directions um, is, is something that I really hadn't thought a lot about when I was, when I was teaching full-time in the classroom. When we had tools and manipulatives, it was like, okay, I'm going to give you a minute of playtime to get it out of your system. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then we're going to do the real math. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what if the playtime is part of the real math? So uh, materials without explicit directions, definitely. Uh, tasks with a strong engage. You know, I think, you know, the 5E model that our friends in science use a lot, that, that engage piece, uh, having tasks that have that, um, I think are things for us to really emphasize. And then just when students are driving the decision-making. Um, and letting themselves pursue their curiosity. A couple of things that I was thinking about that might discourage curiosity as I reviewed our season, uh, one of them being cold calling, like when we yes. call on students just out of the blue, right? Mm -hmm. um, to see if they're paying attention, which I think is a management technique more than a, um, a, a tool to stimulate great math discourse. So um, I, I, I wanna name that one. Um, and then one other one, Audrey, one last one is tasks that are teacher centered regarding interests, meaning like this is my favorite task. And kids might actually be a little curious because they're like, I'm so curious why the teacher is so wound up about mm -hmm. this task. They, they are just going on and on. OK, I'm a little curious about that. But that's not the same as their curiosity around something. So I think sometimes as teachers, we we are so excited about things that I mean, when it comes down to it, our students are not that excited about them. Yeah. You know, but one of the things the book talked about that the kids were excited about were these curiosity boxes. So oh, yeah. like mm -hmm. um, early in the book, like page maybe 18 or so, um, they talk about like how they put this box with a whole bunch of different like drawers and things in it in different mm -hmm. classrooms to study how students engaged with it. And in some classes, like every single student engaged in it. And in other classes, almost no one engaged with it. And what the researchers found was the difference. And we talked about this back in an early season was that it comes down to the number of smiles that the teacher had, like the essentially the very subtle um, encouragement that it was okay to play. And so I'm thinking a lot about teachers who have tried to like infuse play into their math class as a space for curiosity. And so like Sarah Vanderwerf blogs around um, having play tables in your math classroom where you yeah. have like a table set up and just some things out. And those are there for any student to play with at any point in the lesson, which let's just put some asterisks there. That's not usually how they're used in our classrooms. They're for quote unquote fast finishers or, you know, certain kids who, who, We'll go into that in another episode. I'm going to stop there. Um, in any case, these play tables, I, I've heard some teachers say, like, I put the table out and then kids don't play with it. Or, you know, like, they're, you know, how do I get the kids to play with it? And I think it's super interesting to think that curiosity with that box, maybe curiosity with tasks, maybe curiosity with um, materials, like anything that you put in front of your kids, like your subtle body language as a teacher, a, like, 
tells students that what they're doing is okay or not okay and encourages it or discourages it. So like you were talking about when you put out those materials in front of a kid and you know they're used to, okay, I get one minute to play with it or I have to wait for my teacher to tell me how to touch the materials or how to use them or can I move the bears or can I not, right? Like the subtle smiles, the body language that just kind of says, yeah, what you're, yeah, go ahead. Like those things, as small as they are, can have a huge change effect in terms of your students being able to feel like curiosity is allowed in this classroom and it's it's okay to be curious. Yeah, Audrey, uh, great examples. And, you know, you reminded me of, I think I told you that um, one of our districts is actually thinking of putting a play space into their libraries and their elementary schools. And I just, I'm, I'm so excited by that. And so having people like just think of other spaces even beyond the classroom is really exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that you're, you're sparking with me here, Audrey, is this idea of curiosity being connected to motivation and persistence in math lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had the um, honor of working with some educators yesterday. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about is how what sustains us through a difficult task and and how are we how do we get curious about how it will be resolved um and and part of as you're on the way to that is this idea of being curious about talking to others about the task um you know that student to student discourse that we're always searching for and we're really wondering why it's not happening i think part of us thinking about is 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 curiosity present in that moment because then i'm curious about how you're thinking about something because it it's just more authentic in that um you know otherwise i think sometimes my persistence is really reduced to compliance for my teacher i want to please my teacher i want to get a certain grade um and then the conversations with my classmates they're forced like why aren't the kids talking to each other don't you know you're supposed to talk to each other and and sort of like this forced Inter- interchange versus an authentic give and take about like me being curious about another person's learning. Um, and so I, th- I think those are things to consider. I appreciate that, Mark. And, you know, you're pushing on this idea again. I think a lot of times when I hear teachers say we need relevant real world, those are in big quotes, tasks or lessons, that the why we need those is so that it helps spark curiosity, right? Like Mm -hmm. that the students have some point of connection to them and they are curious about how that works or why it works or will it work or what will happen next, right? And what I find so intriguing about this text and what we've read since is that there are lots of types of curiosity and some of them can be fostered with an interesting problem or question that doesn't have any context. And a lot of times, you know, like I'm going to be the first to say, like, there's a lot of math we do that doesn't have context that probably I'm not very curious about. Um, But there (laughs) is math that doesn't have context that can be posed in a way that students are curious about. And for me, there's a connection back to some of the thin slicing work from Peter Lilliadal's Building Thinking Mm -hmm. Classrooms and other spaces. But I just think that's super interesting that sometimes we go after the wrong thing or maybe even the right thing, or Mm -hmm. sometimes the right thing, like, like real world lessons, or, you know, relevant lessons, thinking that that's going to be the thing that sparks curiosity. And I think we have to go back to like, there's lots of types of curiosity, there's lots of ways to spark that with our kids, um, with and without context, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 
I mean, I just have to say, I mean, I'm a big believer in leveraging the cultural capital that our students are showing up with. Um, but you're really making me think about, um, does that, is that leverage because there's a context that is necessarily aligned with that student's uh, connection uh, with their own culture? Um, but also, as you mentioned, there could be a neutral context. And actually, in some ways, there's some advantages to a neutral context intermixed with other types of context, because that actually allows them to bring their assets into the space versus a potentially contrived cultural context that could stereotype students in the context. So something, and we certainly should bring um, math tasks that have uh, an influence of, of many different culturals, cultural backgrounds to, to leverage those assets. But I think we, we need, also need to be cautious about the fact that they, in some cases, could stereotype students. Um, but back to this neutral context, the play math work that we've done uh, comes to mind, Audrey. I mean, it, you know, where the tool is neutral, that provides me a space that I choose how to engage in the play based on my identity with me, with me having permission to bring my whole self into the situation, right? Versus my teacher dictating how I must proceed based on like a normative culture identity that is heavily influenced in our schools and heavily influenced on dictating how our students should go about thinking and, and doing math, really. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Mark. You know, I think the more that we um, can be curious about that as the teachers or the people mm. putting together the lessons, the more likely are, we are to foster that curiosity in our students. And I, and I think your point is well taken about what does that neutral context look and sound like? You know, I've also been thinking about this quote around that comes from the book that says, when we're curious about others, we develop stronger relationships with them. And so I'm wondering how that might play into what you're talking about, how when we're curious about our students, um, do we help to then foster belonging that allows them to bring their cultural capital into the, into the space um, and think about it that way. So more to think about there, I'm sure. Um, super interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Audrey. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the other thing that I think you and I have been working really hard to do over the last couple of years is thinking about how we think about how we do things productively for students and how some of those same things can be productive for adults. So one of the things we've been thinking about is how, <clears throat> how do we lead with curiosity in designing professional learning? Um, so what are you thinking about that? Yeah, that's a great point, Mark. So I, I think that's why the design of the learning task is just so important. And it's a trap that is well set for all of us who lead professional <laughs> learning that as soon as you say, okay, I have a professional learning I'm going to do that we start planning activity after activity after activity. And without a clear learning goal and a thoughtfully chosen learning task, I don't think we're going to tap into our learners' curiosity. I think we're just going to be set about doing things towards, mm. you know, kind of the end. Um, and I think when we authentically set out to um, enhance or, or allow space for our learners' curiosity, when we design the task that's going to help them get towards that goal, that's where the learning really can be magical, I think. Oh, I, I completely agree, Audrey. I think it's interesting how you brought the learning goal as a factor with curiosity you know, when we reduce barriers to the goal versus the barriers to a specific task, what happens is we open up the possibilities of, of learning that adults or students can engage in to reach the goal. So I, I think there's that nice um, 
pairing that whether we're working with adults or students, we're lowering barriers toward the goal, not toward just one specific way to get to the goal. Um, so uh, really brings me right to universal design for learning with that, Audrey. Yeah, I like that connection. You know, I think maybe the last thing I'll say about this is that the specific thing is that, you know, there's another quote from the book that has like stayed on a post-it for me is that employee curiosity and engagement are strongly linked. Mm. And so is leaders' curiosity and their effectiveness. Mm. And and it, the quote further than talks about like the presence of curiosity in organizations and is linked to the success of those organizations. And I think sometimes, you know, like we can make the analogy to our students being curious in their engagement, us as the teachers and facilitators, maybe us as the coaches or the administrators um, and our curiosity and effectiveness. But I also think that sometimes we look up at our organizations, we look at our school, we look at our district, we look at the thing, you know, the bigger organization, we're like, are we really a curious organization? Hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to point a finger and be like, nope, they, the district, they, mm -hmm. the admin, they, the someone else, right, is not curious. And this always takes me back to um, an analogy that, you know, uh, a colleague of mine once shared with me and we sat down and had a long conversation around it. And she said, you know, like when we're driving home and I'm stuck in traffic and that's definitely my reality many days, it was yesterday for sure. Um, it's, it's really easy to be mad at the traffic and be like, oh, this traffic is awful. And it's really hard to remember that I am the traffic, like <laughs> my car, me being in that car, trying to travel on that road, I am creating traffic, right? Like I am, I am as much a part of it <laughs> as anyone else on that road. And the same thing is true of us in our organizations. I think when we, when we look up and we say, I don't think our organization is very curious. Like, is that reflecting on us personally mm. as well? Like how much are we curious and holding that as how we operate um, in the work we do uh, with students, with teachers, um, et cetera. So something to think about. Yeah, I, I, that's great, Audrey. I'm, I'm glad you called that out. I mean, it's, it's really, for me, the question that I'm leaving with after what you said is like, how, how do I drive the importance of curiosity from my current position that I hold in, in a school district or, or wherever? So um, that's great. So one thing that, you know, this, this episode, this season is all about like taking to like, what are we rethinking? And something um, that's challenged me from this book is that towards the end, um, Brian Goodwin says like, imagine for a moment what it would look like if we shifted our conversations in school board meetings, faculty lounges, school parking lots away from preconceived notion of what's not possible and instead engaged in a shared exploration of what ifs. Imagine new possibilities for the future that might spring out of curiosity. And, you know, the land of what if can be a dangerous like conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. understand how unfruitful those can be at times, but it's challenged me in particular, um, as you and I have done some rethinking around math intervention right. uh, and kind of grappling with like, what else could math intervention look like as a system that we can look at, identify and say, maybe it's not doing its best. How might we rethink it? Yeah. yeah well, uh, Hey, why don't, why don't we just take an example right now and, and see what we come up with? You know, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that are sort of the hot button things that over the last few years, and I'm certainly now as well, have there, these are those skills or concepts that, that people run really quick to with, with intervention. Um, and ironically, they also uh, often are 
uh, the source of IEP goals, at least in elementary school. And so I'm going to grab one of the ones that I uh, like to talk about. And you probably know what's coming, Andre. <laughs> I think I do. Subtraction it's, regrouping? Uh, yes, subtraction <laughs> regrouping. You didn't let me say it. <laughs> okay, perfect. So like, let's imagine, this is like what I'm thinking about this reimagine quote. Like if we imagine there's a student who has taken some assessment or done some mm -hmm. work and we look mm -hmm. at that student and say, gosh, you are not up to par with subtraction regrouping, right? Right. Like our normal system then goes and says like, fill in the gap, fill in the gap, lots of subtraction regrouping. We're going right. to, maybe we go back to the, louder. Yeah. yeah, maybe we'll go back to the concept. Maybe we won't, maybe we'll yeah. just, yeah, slower, louder. But what if instead, like we reimagined this around the student's assets. So like mm -hmm. maybe this student, for instance, is really good at addition. So we're like super mm -hmm. puzzled why they're okay. not good at this, but yeah. like they can add large numbers together. They've figured out all kinds of strategies and they're kind mm -hmm. of fluent in moving back and forth between strategies to figure out how to add numbers yeah. of lots of sizes. Like right, right. what could we reimagine intervention to look like that wouldn't be a worksheet of subtraction regrouping? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's coming to mind right away, Audrey, is that open number line, you know, uh, oh. and thinking about, um, you know, the two quantities and the difference and, and having kids bump into the fact that I can add up uh, to, to find a difference. And but but not just showing that as a quick trick, but there's something like to be curious about, like, I, I wonder if we used a number line, if there would be another way for us to to subtract um, and. I, I just think that like even just having that moment like that, um, it's it's like it's like we're giving kids a key to a locked door. Um, I think when I think of math intervention traditionally, like the if stay with the locked door for a minute, it's it's the alternative is almost like we keep pushing them into this locked door. Can you imagine, you know, like those little video games where the little person has nowhere to go? Yeah. And they're just bumping into the little corner over and over. Over, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's what we do to students. And, and, and there's no curiosity left around subtraction, certainly, because um, I'm just continually being pushed into this locked door. Um, so, but I think by playing to strengths, what we are really doing is we're really giving them a key to opening the door and allowing them to keep going through the door and staying curious about subtraction. So I just think that Yes, maybe later the students can engage in that uh, standard uh, algorithm around subtracting, but like, let's stay with the curiosity long enough to keep them interested and engaged and motivated to really understand subtraction versus just this particular algorithm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, Mark. You know, the book talks about, and I think we've always, we've known it to be true, is that the the longer kids stay in school, the less curious they become, right? Mm -hmm. And if we really yeah. want to change wow. that, if that's really what we're trying to move the needle on is for the curiosity to linger, for them to stay curious, then it has to be at the forefront of all of our design. So our instructional design, our lessons, as we talked about, and now what you're describing here in intervention, when we look up and we say, maybe things aren't going as smoothly as we thought, instead of removing the curiosity, we need to really lean into the curiosity and help the student uh, imagine that again. So I really appreciate, I appreciate the chance to dabble in that area a little bit. Yeah, great summary, Audrey. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we'll chat about chapter six, Mathematizing Literature. Until then, send us a tweet. 
with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on staying curious. Thank you.